Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Okay, welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield, and today's guest is right in our sweet spot here at Brain Trust. Tricia Rose Burt is an expert communicator, specifically through the art of storytelling. And I think for those of you listening out there today, you know that we are big believers and in, in proponents of storytelling and using it in all aspects of your life, both personally and professionally. And I'm excited because uh, uh, Tricia has definitely mastered the art of storytelling and does it not only for a career, but helps other people be effective at telling their story as well. Tricia, welcome to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Now, Tricia, so we uh, we were talking in the pre-show a little bit about our uh, collective backgrounds, and uh, you know, you're you're a Southern gal. You come from the. Th- this is crazy. So we got to give our audience at least a little bit of a backstory here. Is you're a Southern gal who transformed your life, who decided that you didn't want to be in business, that you really wired to be an artist. Now you're living in the in, in the Northeast, and you're going around doing art- all types of artistic, beautiful work, and also helping people tell stories. You've had like you're like a female Forrest Gump. You've lived like seven different lives in one case. It's not been a linear path. (laughs) (laughs) So give us just a little bit of backstory on how you arrived to the point today where you are actually out helping other people tell effective stories. So, you know, I, uh, and my my first career, I was in public, I've had several careers, let's just say that. But in my first career, I was in public relations um, at working with some of the, you know, big agencies in New York and all that sort of thing. um, And telling really other people's stories for a long time. And then I made a move. I was starting to feel not, I didn't really like the work so much anymore. So I started consulting instead so I could kind of explore other things I might want to do. And I was consulting at places like Harvard Business School Publishing and with Fidelity Investments, these you know very um, you know, good jobs and high paying and all that kind of stuff. And I still was very unhappy. And I ended up going to art school. Uh, and I was in art school for about... Uh, you know, two or three years and realized I'm an artist. I'm not, no wonder I'm miserable. I'm an artist. I need to be doing this instead. And so, um, as I was telling you in a, in a bold move that I don't know that I could do again now, <laughs> I sort of quit my job, sold my car, you know, divorced my husband again, not on a whim. That was something that was in process for a long time, just completely because I had created a life, uh, it was in Boston that required a very high paying job. I didn't want anymore. And I wanted to go explore my creative side and, and be an artist. I moved over to Ireland for four years uh, and really wrote and made work uh, while I was over there. I was lucky. I was, um, you know, I, I was unattached. It was just me. I had no children. I had no, you know, husband. So I could do this thing. Um, came back um, and was a visual artist for about 10 years and started telling my stories visually. And then when the market crashed or whatever it did in 2008, uh, nobody was hiring consultants. Nobody was buying visual work. And I had had a performance piece in my head for about 13 years. And I thought, well, let me just do that. Let me do performance because, again, that's so lucrative. <laughs> Cash just comes screaming in when you're a performer. And um, and I did that. I was telling a story about how I'd made this change. It was a one-woman show called How to Draw a Naked Man. And, uh, and I ended up getting on stage with The Moth. And The Moth is a... Um, an organization based out of New York, which uh, focuses on the art and craft of storytelling. And I was on their stage several times and started working with them. 
And then they asked me to be a part of their corporate arm, uh, MothWorks, and we go into organizations like Stanford Medicine and Google and Facebook, all these places. And uh, and we teach personal, uh, we teach executives how to tell their personal story. And um, and it was it's this kind of fantastic. Now I have my own clients. I work with them and some other companies as well. So it's this blend of uh, my business background and my uh, arts and my ability to tell a story, which has kind of come together, which is very exciting for me to have these both sides of my brain at work all the time. So it sounds like what happened was you had built a life around what you thought other, others expected your life to look like, but found out halfway through that that wasn't your purpose. Absolutely. And when I did, in my one woman show, there's a scene where I do a list of shoulds. It's like 30 shoulds of how I was raised to be. You know, I should be appropriate. I should be sensible. I should, you know, go to church. I should this, I should that. All of these very clear, you know, as I call it in this book, I'm writing a declaration of conformity. Like this is how it's done. This is how it's done. And I have, whenever I do the show, I literally have people, that's when people in the audience start nodding their head. And I had a, uh, I mean, the people come up to me and say, you may think that story all about you, but it's really all about me. And we have nothing in common, but the, except that sense of being constrained by this is how you're supposed to lead your life. Because there's one right way to lead your life, and this is what it looks like. And people just take out Southern and stick in Jewish. They stick in athletic, or they stick in science. You know, the families have a, families and society have a very particular way they think we should be living it you know, our lives. And uh, one of my most surprising ones was a, an instructor at Vanderbilt University. Um, and he was from Egypt and had his PhD. And he said, you know, really everything you said resonated with me. I'm like, work with me here. I mean, like, you know, come. but it was, again, it was that constraint. It was that feeling of this is how I'm supposed to lead my life. And that those were the only options I had. And going to art school for me was like, Oh, wait a second, you know, because at art school, I learned how to ask questions. I learned how to be a creative problem solver. Um, I mean, I always say everyone should go to art school and 12-step program because it would just make the world a lot of place, right? Right, right, right. So this idea the 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 constraint of conformity, I really like that concept. And I think that, you know, we work obviously in, in a lot of business settings. And what we find is, is when we teach people how to tell, we call it the why, their why story and you, the, the personal story that you, you're talking about. Uh, we get a lot of resistance initially. And a lot of the resistance is yet they've experienced the vulnerability that myself or one of our instructors and the empathy, and they've experienced how powerful they were moved by our stories. But when we go to start to help them teach their, them how to do their own stories, they go back to being trapped again inside of that expectation of that constraint of conformity, I believe for fear, right? It's always fear of fill in the blank. What's, what's been your experience on what holds people back from that release of, hey, you know what? My story is not supposed to be about me, even if it is about me, because it's about the listener. But I have to be vulnerable enough to let it all go, let let it happen, let it happen. Well, I mean, I find when I'm in in situations where I'm trying to teach people to tell their personal story and mining for stories, because people, I often hear people say, "I don't have a story to tell," which really means they don't think they have a story that is life and death, large enough, whatever some tragic thing has. It's like you know. If you got out of bed this morning, you have a story to tell. You just may not know how to tell it, you know. And my job is to make sure you know how to tell your story. And there's a there is a craft to telling a story, right? And so the first hurdle is is letting people know you have a story. 
You know, you have a story, let's mine for that story. And, you know, I always say it's the story that makes you probably been telling at the dining room table for years, or it's the story that makes you tear up when you cry, you know, or when you think about it, or makes you a little sick to your stomach, or makes you giggle, whatever that story is, you have a story, you know. And, and once, once people go, oh, okay, wait, I do have a story, right? Then they start to get a little confident around that. But it, it is that, you know, it is taking that risk and being vulnerable. So it's so much about make, creating a safe place for people, uh, really creating so they know. And I mean, you go in with a great deal of vulnerability and empathy. So do I. The, uh, the, one of the keys to a good story is vulnerability. That's a key to a good story. Like nobody wants to hear, we often say at the Moth, sure, it's great that you climbed Mount Everest, but what I really want to know is about the time you wanted to turn back. That's the story. And as business leaders, you know, we have that crazy idea that you can't be vulnerable as a business leader. You're far more effective <laughs> if you're vulnerable as a business leader because you will get people on board and you can lead them, you know. Um, and so so my experience is, is that hurdle of, of, of um, helping people see that they have a story, helping people realize that vulnerability is really a strength. And it, it makes for a better story. It makes for a better leader, you know. Um, so there's some education involved in bringing people on board. My own experience is I realized the, the riskiest thing for me to do is to play it safe. That's the riskiest thing I can do is do something safe. And that was a big, I had to change my mind. I mean, it was a boot. When I went to art school, it was like boot camp, actually, to just rethink the way I had approached everything you know, is to, to, to really take a risk and try to grow and try to push myself. And that if I could, sure, I could stay safe, but I was going to die a lot sooner than I wanted to, if I can't live that way. Right. Yeah. I like that concept as well. And I, and, and I, I like to say it this way, that the vulnerability equals relatability and that's, and the relatability equals connection, connection equals trust. And trust is the, is the spark that drives any change. And, but, but it starts with that willingness to be relatable and, and to connect, right? And, and, I, and here's the irony with a lot of the folks that are driving around listening today that are in sales or sales and marketing. We work a lot with B2B companies, um, and they think they're doing really, really well if their closing ratio is somewhere between 20 to 30%. And I tell them a lot, like, that means that seven or eight times out of 10, people are telling you no. Yeah. <laughs> And, and not, not to, you know, throw a bucket of cold water on your head, but would it be better or worse if you connected a little deeper with people? Would it be okay? Would you think that you might have built that trust a little more effectively? Would you change the outcome a bit? But they're so, again, constrained by those. This is how we're supposed to sell. We're yes. We're supposed to sell this way. Yes. Like, okay. Uh, you know, but how about, you know. The, what they used to tell me in art school all the time was just ask yourself the question, what happens if I do this? What happens if I do this? You know, and give yourself and, and try it out. What happens if I do it this way? And then for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I mean, the shackles were off. I just, right. um, and just also, I mean, it was just, you know, I came from a very black and white world. Love my father to death. He was an amazing man. Our pantry was labeled. Our spices were alphabetized. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean it was, there was a right way to do everything. And so I was right. raised in this very black and white world. And I remember one of the first days I was at art school, they gave us a list of rules 
of art school. I was like, yay, rules. You know, I can finally know what I'm doing. <laughs> I can overachieve. I know what, the, you know, I mean, I have to overachieve here. And like the last one was like, we break all our rules. So I'm like, what? I mean, like, you know. You got hives. So Suddenly you had hives, time, right? I was just like sweating. Like something's, something's got a heart. It's careened out of control here, right? Right, right. You know, so I, I really had to figure out that the most important thing that I could do was really start to, um, is really start to break those rules. Is really start and 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 that wasn't a bad thing. You know, it really right. freed myself up to um, to be a creative problem solver. You know, I mean, it, it, it's it, if we keep solving the same problem the same way every time, we're just going to do the same thing. Absolutely, and I think what what will kind of maybe launch us off into the model that you teach that's really will help our listeners today is I, you said something that triggered me earlier around. We hear it all the time as well. People say either I don't have a story to tell or this one that I love even more is well, nobody cares about my story of which I will, I reply, you're exactly right. <laughs> they don't care about your story they, because of self-preservation orientation. They care about how your story makes them feel. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that doesn't make your story irrelevant. It makes it paramount Well, because right. Go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, because, because, because the change happens based on emotion and connection, not logic, facts, and reason. How are you, excuse me, how are you going to influence someone to change faster by convincing them with logic or facts. No, we know scientifically that doesn't work. Therefore, you're right. Nobody cares about your story, but they do care about their story. And the only way they can tap into their story is to relate to your story. There's a wonderful work and I've, a woman I've been working with named Marion Roach Smith. And um, she's a fantastic writer and teaches memoir a lot. And, you know, sometimes when, when you're telling your personal story or you're writing a memoir or, you know, um, you can feel this is so tedious. I keep talking about myself, you know, I mean, like this, like, oh, um, and she really says, and this is what I teach in, in my storytelling, too. It's not about you. It's about a universal theme. So my story about how to draw a naked man is about me going to art school and drawing from the model for the first time, a nude model for the first time, as a person who was used to giving like corporate presentations and slide, you know, communications audit. I was just so far out of my depth. But really the story is about authenticity, about stepping into who I'm actually called to be, right? You may not be able to relate to the fact that I was in there trying to draw from a nude model, but you can relate to that desire to be authentic in your life. And so whatever, that's, that's really the key thing. Uh, one of the first things I teach is what's the theme of your story? It's not about you. You're just illustrating the theme. You're just illustrating what it's about. Um, you know, it can be about, you know, change. It can be about, you know, struggle. It can be about redemption. It can be about, you know, whatever it is, but it's, you're just the illustration of this larger theme that people can go, yes, yes, I get that. I get that. You know, there's a fantastic story that I teach from a lot, um, by a guy named Tim Manley who's called teacher talent show. And it's about him being a, uh, his first day on the job and his first year on the job as a public, uh, school teacher in, New York, public high school, right? And it's disastrous. It's all gone ter terribly wrong. But it relates, no matter who I show it to, they relate because we all know what it's like to be in over our heads and not wanting to fail. You know, what do we do? So this story can be in so many applications because it's about not wanting to fail and how to recover from something, right? To overcome your fears. Yeah, it's so good. And I think that the mistake I think a lot of folks make when they're, especially when they're starting to work on this personal story is 
Well, the, the Joseph Campbell hero model is I, I'm supposed to be the hero, but I don't feel like the hero. I'm like, no, you're not supposed to be the hero. Like the listener is going to be the hero here, but the theme of your story and why, why we've, we've created a model where we have everyone has to have a sage or a guide yeah. in their story because then, then they can transfer that feeling of hero, if you will, onto a sage or a guide. They can be more vulnerable. And then that transformation of, in your case, I was taught one way. I was hit square in the face with the reality of maybe there's more. Yes. I had to decide in that moment of change, am I going to embrace this? Because if I do, I might discover something about me that puts me on a path of purpose. If I don't, I'll go back to my status quo and live the same life I've always lived. Which one do you want? <laughs> right? I always, I always say, uh, if things hadn't gotten different, there was a good chance I'd be a raging alcoholic in Tampa, Florida right now. So I, <laughs> and nobody needs more raging alcoholics in Tampa, Florida right now. You know what I mean? And and truly, you know, I joke when I say, you know, I was going to die, but in some form, you know, if we don't take these risks and become who we're called to be, you slowly but surely, you are not your full vibrant self, right? And and more importantly, you don't make the impact on this world that you were designed to make. Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, you know, part of one of the things that I, one of the reasons why I tell the stories I tell is um, it helps people be brave, right? Mm. I mean, you know, um, I mean, while I was doing what I was doing, it wasn't bravery at all. It was survival, right? It was like, you know, I just, you know, I thought I got, I got two options here. I can either die or try to do something different, you know? I mean, it was really a survival thing for me. But when people hear that story, they resonate with it because we all have this choice of, I can stay right here or I can do something that's scary but it's going to have way more value to it, right? And, and that's sort of the second thing and the, that I like to teach. And the first thing is theme. Like, what's the theme of your story? It becomes your editing tool about what you're going to keep in the story and what you're not. Because you, know, you, you can tell a story from all different angles, right? Um, and, and depending on how you tell it, you're going to include different details in that story. Right. Um, but, the, but a story isn't a story unless there's something at stake, like what's at stake for you? What's at stake for your customers? I mean, we have to know what can be won or what can be lost. You know, we have to know that or we're not engaged in the story. And so that's really one of one of the purposes of telling a good story is here's what's at stake, right? If we go this route, you know, it's going to go this way. If we go that route, it's going to go that way. We need to know what's important to you. I mean, I've heard stories where the a woman was like, I used to like cream in my coffee and now I don't like cream in my coffee, right? There was a change there. There was something at stake for her there, low stakes, but for her, it was a big deal. And if she tells the story well, it's important for the rest of us. And I've heard stories where it's like, I was a man, now I'm a woman, right? Those are bigger stakes and bigger changes, but there's still, you know, it's what's at stake for somebody is what we want to key into. And that's what we get excited about the story. Yeah, that, that's super helpful, too, because our audience, the, the, especially the folks who have been through some of our programs, the, that tension that you put in uh, into the story there, it induces a set of neurochemistry that focuses our attention. So a little bit of adrenaline with a little bit of cortisol, there's a science behind it um, because the way our brain then focuses in. And I tell people, you can tell someone who's a great storyteller because they have a theme. They know exactly what's at stake. They know how to articulate it visually versus someone who what I call is a story meander who, you know, they start here and the next thing you know, you're in seven different counties. You have no idea how you got there or what's important about the story. So you get, what happens? You stop listening. You stop listening. And I mean, and that's why you really, I mean, that was why theme is so important because it is going to guide you about what you include in that story. You know, I mean, I just took out a great scene on my book, funny, off track. I'll use it someplace else. Right. Right. 
it, it just it it just got people off and just enough that I thought this is risky. Get it out of here, right? You know, you want to keep yeah. people on track on what the theme is, you know, and again, the stakes. I mean, make it urgent, you know, and and keep, you know, keep letting us know as the story goes on, remind us what's at stake, like remind us right. what's at stake, you know, so we're that we're so we're bought in and we want to know what happens, right? That's why we want to we want to pay attention. Yeah, and you may be familiar with Daniel Kahneman. Um, behavioral economist won a Nobel Prize for his research that justified this, where he found that human beings make a change at twice the urgency to avoid a loss oh, yeah. as opposed to pursuing a gain. Yeah, and so when you introduce that stake, what's at stake, what's at risk, that is what triggers our self-preservation mechanism, even as a listener, even if what's at stake for you isn't at what's at stake for me, it causes me to think about yeah. my relative what's at stake for me, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and I think the other thing is, I sure was doing this in the, in the examples I showed before, for, you know, the third thing that matters is a narrative arc. You know, we want to see a change. There's a difference between an anecdote and a story. An anecdote is, you know, I went to the store and I was great. I bought some bananas and I was great. I came home, I was still great. Like, who cares about that? I mean, nothing, right. you know, there's been no change in the storyteller. And so if you have, you know, I went to the store, I was great. I got there and I realized I was really rude to the guy behind the deli counter and came home and realized maybe you're not so great. And then, you know, I had to called in a pot, whatever, you know, there's a chain, you're realizing there's an element of redemption, of self-reflection and redemption in the story. It's way more interesting for us. Like you want to know who are you at the beginning and who are you at the end? And there's a moment of change in the beginning. And, and it's, if you're a salesperson, that's the story you want to tell. You know, it was, it, what is that near of arc if they've used your product? What happened to, for it to be one thing in the beginning and something different at the end, you know, and, and we need to see that change. We need to, we need to know why it's important to me. We need to know what, how it's going to help me change. That's the kind of stuff we need to know. Yeah, it's fantastic work there that I know Dr. Paul Zach did a bunch of work on. I don't know if you've seen any of his work or not and his stuff on that narrative arc and, and literally in the lab showing what happens when you have the have a story with no change like that versus one that has a narrative arc that people tune out on the other one. They just literally their brains shut down and they stop listening. Um, so which would you rather? <laughs> You're right. I mean, we've all been to those, you know, movies where we're like, what? Something just didn't like, you know, you, you walk away from something. I mean, I remember going to a Broadway show, so much spectacle. But I'm like, there's no story. Where's the story? Like, you know, we've got a st the story, like, what is the story? That's what we want to know. We're wired for them. We want to know each other. And we want to, my experience, and you may get the same thing, Jeff. My experience is people are wonderful. They really are. You know, that people are, and when we start telling each other stories, there is, there is a, a shared community that immediately starts, like immediately starts. If you start hearing somebody else's story, you cannot look at them the same way. Right. You like to say in the moth, we teach people empathy, right? You know, if you start hearing somebody else's story, you look at them the differently you look at yourself differently you look at everybody differently and so there's this i mean i think storytelling is going to change the world and save it but that's just me but <laughs> but i mean there there's a you know there's there's cross-pollination of ideas that happens there's community that gets built there's trust that gets built there's on a personal note there's a real sense i mean i've seen people on stage tell their story for the first time and honest to god they walk taller when they walk off the stage yeah you know they really have a sense of command of, of who they are and their story in a way they hadn't before they started. Yeah, there's no question. And I think that 
The misconception sometimes, in especially in the business community, is that storytelling is fluffy. Yeah, well, you got to have a process and a system. But the irony here is, is, is your very your your life story about being in the box and being the list and having the conformity. That's how we've trained an entire generation of business leaders and sales and marketers is to say, follow the process, put in the steps, communicate the logic, communicate the facts, and customers will buy or 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 employees will follow or fill in the blank. And it's so you know, bass backwards to how we're biologically wired. And what you're saying is just reinforcing that storytelling isn't fluffy. Storytelling is the number one most fastest way to get into the part of the brain that elicits empathy, connection, and a willingness to change. I mean, it's, it's, it's essential. And I mean, data is crazy important, but data wrapped in a story is way better. It, Absolutely. Because, you know, because Again, people are moved and they want to be, they make decisions because they are moved to make a decision. You know, there's, there's something that gets, you know, uh, within them that resonates and they're like, yeah, that, that. All right. So just to recap this, because I like it because it's very simple. So your, your first step is you've got to have a theme, Mm. right? What's your theme? And then you got to move to the the narrative some way into what's at risk or, or what's at stake. Yeah. Right. And then, and then give us a summary on the third point again. It's a narrative arc. Who are you at the beginning? Who are you at the end? You know, what That's that transformation of idea transformation. Right. And perfect and people all of us yearn to transform somehow. Right. And right. we can all be guides for people to say, Hey, this is how I did it. People want to know. They don't want to know how, I mean, they want to see you sort of, this is the vulnerability piece. You know, what is the doubt you struggled with? What are the questions that you asked? And how did you arrive at where you ended up, right? You know, right. living in that space of vulnerability and then getting on the other side of it. It's it's huge for people. Yeah, and I think the other mistake people make uh, sometimes, Tricia, is that they're on the other end of the spectrum. If you have a story of, of, of overcoming, you're telling a story of how you've overcome some tragedy in your life or some, you know, whatever events that happen in your life. If the whole story is, is you figuring out everything perfectly every step because you're so smart and you're yeah. so gifted and you're so talented, no one cares about that. In fact, it goes the opposite direction. So for those listening, if you have an overcoming story where when the narrative arc ends with you having a new epiphany about you, if you don't inject the the vulnerability uh, along the way in the empathy piece, people will not relate to you at all. And they'll look at you almost as, that's where salespeople make a mistake. Yeah, it's like I can't learn anything from you because apparently you figured it all out. You know, like, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, congratulations. Right. I need somebody else here, you know, because right. I, I want to know, you know, what struggles, you know, and how did it feel? And you know, I mean, we all that we're just trying to make it to the end of the day, half of us. You know, we want to know, you right. know, when you were in that place of, you know whatever degree of darkness it was and questioning and doubt, you know, how'd you get to the other side of that? You know, how, right. that's what we, that's what we want to know, you know? And tell me how you felt the way that I know I feel, even if I can't put words to it along that journey. Absolutely. Right? You know what? And it's funny. We never know the seeds we, we plant. I mean, my story on the moth, there's this, I had, that was the one woman show how to draw a naked man. And then there's a, the moth air story. That's a, a about 13 minutes long. That's a condensed version of it. It's also called How to Draw a Naked Man. It aired May of 2011. I got an email last March from someone who says she lit, her grandmother sent it to her, I don't know how long ago, and that she listens to it every six months 
And uh, it gave her the courage to leave her government job and pursue a career as a birth photographer. I don't know who this woman is. We've never talked before. This was from May of 2011. And eight years later, I'm getting an email from her about how that story affected her. And one, I burst into tears. And two, <laughs> I was like, oh, because you know, you get some, often when you don't get a chance to see how our work affects people, right? So it was a right. gift. I was really grateful that she reached out to me. But we just don't know the impact. We can never know the impact of when we tell a story. We just don't know, you know? And, and, and it gives us the ability to really help people. We may never see the fruit. We may never see the fruit. But it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Absolutely. And I think because we're surrounded in a culture where our culture and social media will put really fictitious personas out there of people that, that we are supposed to look to that are the opposite of authenticity. And, and then we start to subconsciously say, well, I have to have all the answers. I have to be a, to be a leader. I've got to have, I've got to be strong and firm and I can't show weakness or vulnerability. I have to have all the answers. And so the culture has almost created this misperception that when, when at our heart, at our core, I don't care whether you're a CEO of a Fortune 10 company or an entrepreneur or a stay-home parent, we all are wired with that desire and longing to make an impact and to have a purpose. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? And we're wired to belong to a greater community, right? Right. And, um, and also, you know, to what you're saying, I mean, truth has an energy to it. Right. Yeah. I only a couple times have I been in a storytelling workshop and I knew the person who was up there wasn't telling the truth. It was right. exaggerated. It was, he was posturing for the people in the room and people could feel it. They could yeah. totally feel it, you know? And I thought, darn it, he's missed a great opportunity here to just, if he just told the truth, like this is really how the story went without all the, you know, making it exaggerated or whatever. Right. It would really been huge, right? So, I mean, that's the other thing is like the people can see through the posturing. They really can. And this thing about storytelling, it's an opportunity for intimacy, you know, to, to have that connection that we, that people are yearning for these days because right. we're surrounded by, you know, cell phones and sound bites and so much, I just love, you know, but right. so if you have that opportunity to have that one-on-one -on -one connection or, you know, or telling stories in front of larger audiences, I mean, it, it's incredibly powerful incredibly powerful. Well, that's great. I will leave it with this then for the audience out there that, I mean, all of us are in sales. And so we talk about that a lot, that we're all trying to influence somebody to do something, whether it's you're selling to your kid to eat broccoli or whether you're trying to get convinced. But if you, if, if you use your storytelling skills to be about the other person, if your mindset is not, how do I tell the story to make them think I'm great, but how do I tell the story to see why they're great? And why they're capable of. If they're, if your mind, see a great to me, in my opinion, the greatest storyteller's mindset is about always about the audience. You know, if you have any final thoughts about that. Yeah, well, it's, it, I think the opportunity with storytelling is to create that common ground, you know, because that's, that's where the, the problem solving happens. That's where the creativity happens. If you say, hey, we've got way more in common than you think, you know, to create yeah. that place where this is where we meet. This is where we're meeting right here. You know, I, I have, you know, I have not, again, I have not been in that situation, but I have had that feeling, you know, right. and I know what it feels like to think I can't overcome this. Or I know what it feels like to think, you know, I don't, you know, to feel like you don't have the tools to get something done that you want. I mean, you, you want to, 
you want to, again, have that empathetic place, that place of common ground. And, and amazing things can happen in that place. You know, they really can. Yeah, that's, all, that's great. And we, we say this a lot. I think it's right with what you're saying is not until someone trusts you personally, are they open to how you can help them professionally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that storytelling is, is, that, is that vehicle that can get that trust built so that I see you as safe. And when I see you as safe and relatable, now I'm open. My, my whole entire brain changes and I'm open to learning from you. And I think that's the, another power uh, from a scientific standpoint. It's like it's all validated now with, with the science, which I love. But uh, So for folks to learn more about you, Tricia, I know you have TriciaRoseBurt.com. That's Tricia, T-R-I-C-I-A, Rose, R-O-S-E-B-U-R-T.com. Is there any other uh, places you'd like to send the listeners to go learn more about you? They can find everything they need to know about me there. You know, and okay. uh, they and if they wanted to, they could also go to themoth.org, uh, which is like the bug, themoth.org, which is a fan. If, and if you are interested in storytelling, go there anyway, because you're going to hear a ton of amazing stories uh, at Moth. Um, they can get a little bit more, but you can get most everything uh, about me on my website. So, yeah, please, please uh, stop in. Say hello. And you don't, just so the audience knows, if you go there, you don't have to learn how to draw a naked man. You not. But <laughs> you, you, you will really enjoy the story uh, by listening to uh, what, what Tricia learned through her journey of how to draw a naked man, right? <laughs> yeah, and what's, what's fantastic is I just aired another story uh, about when I'm the nude model. So it was really, uh, I mean, I started drawing from one and then I became a nude model over in Ireland, much to my mother's horror, but she's okay now. So now uh, I see, now I can see how you came home with a different husband. I see what happened. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> it's so funny when we were first dating, it was like, I don't know if that's a good idea. What, I mean, it was like very, <laughs> like, I'm just a series of lines and shapes. No, this is really this is not a deal. And then we got married and money was a little tight. He was like, can you get out there and model again? <laughs> Our priorities change, try and change quickly, right? Well, listen, Tricia, thank you. Uh, I, I, on behalf of our whole audience, thank you very much for being on. I learned a lot from you today. I'm sure they did as well. And hopefully uh, they'll take what they learned from you to go tell their story with a little more impact. Thanks again for being on. Hey, Jeff, thanks so much. It was a real treat, real treat. Have a good day. You too. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.